This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Radio. No one knows strength and conditioning at the college level more than Jim Steele. This episode, the University of Pennsylvania Director of Sports Performance takes us through his journey of acquiring nearly 30 years experience working with a diverse spread of athletes. We kick off the podcast by talking about some of Jim's major influences throughout his life and what fueled his passion for lifting weights. With a training partner and spotter like Kirk Kowalski, you have no choice but to get stronger. Jim talks about his experience training for various performance goals like powerlifting, bodybuilding, Muay Thai, and even tough man competitions. We get the opportunity to pick Jim's brain about seeing athletes make the transition from high school to college athletics. He shares his opinions on having kids specialize at a young age and the consequences of doing so. We also get into how to maintain a good rapport with sport coaches and his approach to training female athletes. Training is just one facet of Jim's life. As an avid reader, author, and poet, he is the epitome of a well-rounded coach who is constantly seeking self-improvement. Not only that, he is the only knife fighter that I know in real life. A public fundraising campaign to create a second Super Troopers movie made a call for action and the people have spoken to the tune of nearly $4 million. All I can say is, mother of God. Stay tuned because episode 103 with Jim Steele is happening right now. What's happening, Power Athlete Nation? Welcome to another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning, Power Athlete Radio. I'm here with John Callie and Tex, and our guest today is Jim Steele. He's the head strength coach at the University of Pennsylvania, and he has about 30-plus years in the iron game. Jim, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Glad to be here. You know, we do um, have one other... Uh... Jim the man of steel. Jim the animal steel. <laughs> yeah. Jim the animal steel, going back to uh, George the animal. Yeah. Old but school. I think they all had an E on the end of their name. I'm, you know, we're the real steals, no E on the end. <laughs> Jim, did your name motivate you to become strength and conditioning coach? No, but that's not the first time I heard that. Uh, usually when they give tours through the weight room, they're like, and our strength coach is named Jim Steele, and yes, that's his real name. So it's like a good icebreaker, I guess. Yeah. It's kind of like the fullback of Max Strong. Max Strong, by far the best name of any fullback or any football player I've ever been around. Well, my son's name is Maximus Steele, so that's really cool. Cause oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> the volleyball girls named him, actually. I was like, i got to figure out a name for my son. She was like, how about Maximus? I was like, you got it. Perfect. And for any Simpsons fans out there, that is from the Max Power Trent Steele episode. That is a Trent tr- Steele. <laughs> Max Power's longest and dearest friend. Where'd you get your name? From a hairdryer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lost. <now. laughs> 
exactly. Uh, yeah, uh, Luke's a big Simpsons, Simpsons fan. Yeah, so. he's a nineties, uh, is a 90s child. <laughs> okay. I'll tell you what. Never since that app came out, you can watch every Simpsons you ever want. Hey, uh, Jim, how um, how long have you been at the University of Pennsylvania? February of '99 was my first year. I started off. Oh, wow. It was just Rob Wagner was the head strength coach, and I was his part-time assistant. And then he left after a few years, and I moved up, and uh, been here since then. Long time. Dude, that's ironic. I, uh, I you know I went to Philadelphia and was drafted my first year there it was '99. So I frankly lived. Like right across the river from you, right across the uh, the Schuylkill River. Yeah. And we never met. This is the first time we're meeting. That's so unfortunate. Right. The uh, yeah. You how about Philly as a as an Eagles town, man? How is that? I mean, are they crazy or what? Did that take a while yeah, to get I mean, there. Uh, you know what? It was uh, it was exciting because when I got there, the Eagles were pretty shitty, uh, coming right. off the railroad years, and okay. so people were like these diehard fans that were like against you. So it's like, we love the Eagles. I got an Eagles tattoo, and I hate you. So <laughs> who was your, who was your head aggressive. coach? Who was your head coach? Uh, I was drafted by Andy Reid. So oh, Andy okay. Reid, uh, okay. year. Yeah. So I came in, and so there was this like new idea, like renewed, and we were going to be better, and then that first year we came out, and um, you know, we I, I think the only bright spot was we beat the Rams in the last game. Right. Um, and they, they basically sat everybody because they wanted to win the Super Bowl, so they sat everybody. We came in and beat them, and everybody said, "Well, uh, we beat the Super Bowl, guys." So at least we're you know moving along. And then that next year we came back and played pretty well and had uh, uh, you know uh, you know many playoff appearances and three NFC Championship games yeah, and got to the Super Bowl and all that. So it was pretty positive. Um, what's hilarious is uh, the weight room. When I first went to Philly, it was in Veteran Stadium, and it was such a shithole. It was a broom closet. We had Tommy Kennedy, who was uh, Wolfie's assistant on recent or a couple months ago, oh, yeah. and we were reminiscing about it. It was so bad, uh, they didn't have any free weights uh, when I first got there. And oh, so yeah. there was the gym that was right down the street uh, from my house. I mean, literally, I would, like, come out. I think I'd walk down 19th Street. I would go up uh, up on the um, on Walnut, and there was, like, a... A bodybuilder gym, like a powerhouse Wet. gym or something. Okay, powerhouse, okay. Yeah, and that's where I would actually lift weights, so I would go train there, and then I would go home, get something to eat, and I'd walk over to that powerhouse gym, and that's where I'd squat and lift free weights. Heck yeah, man. Yeah, there's some good gyms in Philly. Jersey, Philly, they're good, good lifting uh, areas, you know. Where I grew yeah. up was real good, too. Yeah, uh, Iron Sport, uh, my buddy RC owned a tattoo parlor right in Folsom, right down the street from uh, Iron Sport, so oh, yeah. we stopped in there on occasion. That's a great Is Philly like... Liquor store, tattoo parlor, gym, Steve's cheesesteak, and then it just like alternates. Uh, there's a lot of sandwich shops. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of sandwich shops. Yeah. Uh, like if if you're into like uh, you know cheese whiz. <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm, I'm not a cheese whiz guy, but I, I think you you just like you I, shuddered for a second. Does that remind you of a trip to Philly? Well, you I, if, if you've ever seen them at the uh, at the places open the cans uh, that just say whiz on them, oh, like, God. it's like a white label and black and it says whiz. <laughs> it's like communist and, food that right? just says like and, and Acme they like whiz. open yeah. it up and it, it might be from 1963 or it might be next week. Or nobody knows. The freshness level, the same. The same. And then when they, like, scoop that stuff out, I remember one of the first times we went there, they, you know, it's like a new thing. You have to take people there just as, like, a tourist uh, deal. Kind of like taking people to Disneyland on a hot day. And they're like, why did you bring me here? You're like, right. good. You got dominated. Yeah, so much just depression yeah. immediately it, after. Yeah. It works and for job interviews, too. Out, you know. <laughs> well, what's that text? It works for job interviews, too. Yeah, Jim, we were talking a little bit before the show. You were talking about, like, uh, having someone on staff for a little bit not just having a three-hour job interview. Uh, yeah. So one of the stories we like to tell in the podcast is one of John's 
interview segments for Cali and Tex was in Philly, and I'll just let you take the story from here. So, uh, like I said, we had the um, uh, the seminar up in uh, the KOP, so these guys right. come into Philly, which is the king of Prussia, for those of you guys that aren't from that area. And I, of course, like, was like, hey, uh, you know, these guys are driving up from D.C. This is really their first job interview and their first, uh, you know, experience kind of coaching and us evaluating them. Uh, one of my buddies who's uh, uh, one of the, the chiefs uh, for SEAL Team 4, um, Drove up as well, and uh, he was wow. like, "Hey, you know, let's let's see what Philly's all about. Let's go hit all the spots." And I was like, "Well, I'll put together like a little, uh, you know, like tour of the city, and we'll go hit all the best uh, sandwich shops." So these guys show up, and I think they were a little bit nervous. And I think the first place we hit was uh, Tony Luke's. When you go in there, and those of you guys know Tony Luke's has like every sandwich. And as a rookie, part of my job was I had to go get sandwiches one day a week for the guys, and they would give me these these fucking orders. And finally, like the third time I went in there, the guy that was behind the counter, I gave me order. He's like, you guys fucking smoking weed over there at the uh, Eagles place? And I was like, why? He's like, these fucking orders. He goes, who wants, like, like it was like 27 things. I want potato. I want cheese. I want bacon. I want sausage. Yeah. I want, uh, you know, like guys were ordering off the wall shit just to try to make Bust it hard on They're busting your chops. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like a rite of passage. So and this guy was like, "You guys fucking smoking weed over there?" <laughs> so I, we take him over and uh, hit up him, you know, get him a bunch of uh, cheesesteaks at Tony Luke's, and then we went to Nick's Roast Beef. Yeah, but here the thing is, I should cut in and say that I had no idea we were going to multiple places after this. This is all like this all happened with zero eye contact <laughs> as well. So I would just follow, and I wanted this job so bad that I was like, all right, like, cheesesteak, how hard this could, be, could this be? I was worried that your SEAL team guys can, like, make us kill somebody, like, take out, like, a homeless person later uh, or something. Yeah, I mean, that, that was You're later. like, we'll just see where that I go. Yeah, yeah, we're just going to leave it open. So I ate, like, a whole cheesesteak the first place. I'm like, yeah, all right, here we go. And, and then we got in the car, and uh, I tend to drive fast. Yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, like imagine like uh, fast is an understatement. Yeah, like like you've seen Pulp Fiction when he's like uh, the wolf. He's like yeah, the wolf's on. He's like it's twenty minutes away. I'll be there in eight. Yeah, you're waiting that's, outside. Uh, that's our pattern. My driving is is basically and, and to drive in Philly, especially in South Philly, uh, you either have to um, have lived there for a little bit or be pretty much brain dead because people drive the wrong way. They park in the middle of the street and there's all these different things. And having lived there for five years, I'm just like making less rights. Yeah, you know where you were going. And yeah. these. And these poor guys behind me are trying to follow me, and little do I know that Tex has the same uh, driving skills of maybe an 87-year-old lady or older woman who's blind in one eye and missing a foot. Would you say it's accurate? Well, uh, the missing the foot thing, no, maybe not that, but definitely like 87-year-old. We, we used to call Nana McQuilkin because it's <laughs> slow driving. Uh, I, I drive two-footed, so I'm, I have but both feet. To be oh, to be fair, I was I was pushing the, the Jeep Wrangler at the time, so ah. it was my fault. So we uh, hit there, then we went to a Nick's Roast Beef, and then we came back on the other side of uh, Broadway, and I think we hit Pat's and Gino's. You know, they do have museums and stuff like that here, too, you know? <laughs> no, I yeah, never saw that. Food, I love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah we just took them on So a, we on went to one cheesesteak place, and then across the street was another one. Yeah, that was the, that was, that was the like, third and fourth spot we had. We got a Pat's and a Gino's to have them do a comparison. Okay. And I was like, when does the job interview start? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, right outside of my office. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, nice. Yeah, oh yeah, pretty much. And uh, I, I I don't think I we, I took them down on South Street, but Jim's Steak would have been another one. Yeah. And uh, the way that I got my first deal is um, I got invited. I don't know if I ever told you guys, but I was voted one of Philadelphia Magazine's best-looking people, 50 best-looking people. 
Oh my god. And part part of my deal. You tell us every Thursday. (laughs) So part of my deal for getting voted as one of the best looking people in Philly, I had to do like uh, something for the magazine where they took us out on a tour of Philly and sampled all the cheesesteaks. So that's how I kind of got like to see all. Well, Philly is known for its good looking people. (laughs) That's like being like the smartest person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, nothing. Okay. No, I, well, I remember I was like, hey, they told me, and the guy like gave me, he was all excited. I'm all, thanks. I would have been the, would like to be the it's best looking like person in Orange County. Like, yeah, you get it. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a tough town, but uh, no, it was, uh, it, it was cool. I remember uh, I, when I got drafted, I, I packed up my truck and my dad and I drove from Berkeley to Philadelphia, and it took us 49 hours. Yeah, oh, we decided not to stop. Yeah, my, my dad was like, you know, let's stop. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, let's just keep going. And uh, Just like Thelma and Louis. Louis is just straight there. Yeah, just straight uh, straight out. And as I'm driving on the expressway, uh, all of a sudden I saw this huge sign right off of South Street that said uh, industrial lofts for rent. And I literally pulled off, called the number, and rented the place like 10 minutes later. And that's where I lived. And it just so happens like, that it was right across from Franklin Field. You're so Perfect. good looking. So, so, Jim, let's get a little background on you. I mean, um you know, what's, what's your journey been like? Uh, tell us how you kind of got to the point that you are now. I mean, you said that you've been doing this for, well, you've been in the game for approximately 30 years and at um, your current job since, what was it, 99? Yeah, February 99, um, yeah. So what brought you to that point? How'd you get to that level? Oh, man. Well, um, I was always fascinated with lifting weights for football. My father was a professor at the University of Maryland. And his best friend was the head football coach, Jerry Claiborne. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame, played for Bear Bryant. And so they would play noontime basketball or, or you know, tennis every day. So I knew Coach Claiborne really well. He would, I basically had carte blanche as a little kid to go in any practice I want. Or in the weight room, I would just sit there and watch these guys. Now, Maryland was one of the first teams to really start training with weights. I think it was Virginia Tech. And then Claiborne left Virginia Tech, went to Maryland, and brought – you know, weights with him. And so I would just sit there and watch uh, all these all ACC guys curl. I remember this one guy, it was Mark Duda, played for the Cardinals for a while, curling like the 100-pound dumbbells. Um, I remember seeing guys, you know, bench 405 for some reps. I mean, it was just really cool stuff. Mike Mentor came in there one time and worked out. So I was also always fascinated with lifting weights and football. And really, I did it just for to get better at football. And, you, you know, you do it, you know, narcissistically too. But uh, I was fortunate or unfortunate not to have great coaches, so I had to learn on my own. So I was always asking questions. I would go to these gyms and just talk to people um, and tried every program. I did high intensity. I did bodybuilding. I did everything I could find, you know, mostly muscle and fitness stuff and powerlifting USA. Um, and so as I just continued playing football, I kept lifting and actually I, they, people started coming to me for advice, you know, like, what should I do? What, you know, what exercises should I do to get stronger? Or what do you think of this exercise or program? So, you know, it forced me to learn a lot really fast. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, you know, you, you take what, what works and throw out what didn't. And then I, you know, got into coaching. I never could picture not being around football and not being around weights. And so when I graduated college, I just started coaching. I volunteered. Um, delivered pizzas and, and started coaching, you know. So, you know, I tell everybody, everybody always asks, well, how do you become a coach? I don't know. I just always wanted to do it. And I couldn't picture myself sitting in an office. You know, I, I get to wear a T-shirt every single day and, and shorts. And, you know, you wear a collar on the sidelines and that's about it, you know. And 
get to work with young people and, and to see them grow. Yeah. I just couldn't picture her. Yeah. Did you have anybody um, who who kind of influenced you? I mean, um, you kind of you kind of touched on a few people there, but anybody whose ethos or coaching ethos or kind of training mentality really hit home with you and resonated? Well, I mean, there's no question. You know, my father's my number one influence, but I would say Randy White, um, who played at Maryland, was a god when I was a kid, mm -hmm. and he would be around. He knew my father. You know, not like best friends or anything, but knew of each other, and uh, and then I followed him when he went to the Cowboys, and I tried to do every single thing Randy White did. If he was dipping snuff, I was dipping snuff. If he had a certain hat, I was finding that hat. If he, you know, and he played so hard, and he played, you know, and I had a highlight tape. I used to take Beta and take all the highlights, the best plays that he did. It wasn't always just a tackle. It was like a pass rush move. I played nose guard. It was a pass rush move or um, – you know, a tackle that he made or, you know, just, just running across the field after a guy or something like that. And I put all these tapes on a highlight tape and I'd watch it over and over again. Um, so Randy was a huge influence of me and he was the first guy to do the martial arts where, you know, Bob Ward was his coach. So I remember I watched NFL today. We only had three channels, nobody or four channels and NFL today would come on. I'd rush out of church, get home to watch NFL today. And they had a special on Randy White in like 1984. I was in high school and they had him doing tie kicks. Now they have tie pads everywhere. Back then it was karate in America and maybe Taekwondo. No tie pads. But I, so I went to every karate store and found one pad that was like just a forearm pad basically. Oh. And I put it on my girlfriend's arm. I saw this video of Randy White kicking it. <laughs> oh, this is going to go yeah. off. And I said to my girlfriend, hold this. I was like 265, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm 5'10", 265. And I was like, just hold that. She's like, okay. So I kicked. I mean, her arm was flying, man. No I was like, like, how many reps are you going to do? I was like, 100, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I like, how many do you need? How many you got? <laughs> it's pretty tough, though. She, we didn't last long after that, but she was pretty tough. Oh, but, uh, my God. Fortunately, I've actually uh, sort of developed a relationship with Randy lately because uh, I interviewed him for starting strength mm -hmm. about his training methods. It was really cool. And then uh, – I'm getting into some knife fighting stuff and he's an instructor. So I texted him. I didn't know if he texted. I didn't know. And he texted me back and he was super cool. He said, just call me. And I was in Dick's Sporting Goods and I was like, I looked at my wife. I was like, he said, call him. What do I do? She's like, how about calling him? And I was like, that sounds like a good idea. So I texted him and I'm like, when should I call you? And he's like, right now. So, you know, I got all my gumption up, went outside, uh, sat on a picnic bench and we talked. He was so freaking cool to me, man. You know, a lot of times you meet people that, disappointed in and, yeah. and they're cocky it's just like this regular guy I was like I'm talking to Randy White you know it's really cool that's, so that's super cool so like uh, I would love to segue into uh, how do I combine these two I mean you have a experience and a background in Muay Thai and then you just made a reference to knife fighting uh, which I assume is some sort of competitive uh, venture for some people I've, I don't uh, know I, other I don't than know if pirates it's competitive but it's definitely uh, lethal yeah yeah, I, so I mean, yeah. Um, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and just t touch on like the uh, kind of the background in, in in fighting, and then you know where that where that influenced your training. Uh, well, besides just starting it a long time ago, doing the kicks and stuff, I just got I just get bored really fast with. Uh, so anyway, I reached all my goals in powerlifting in 2001. I I did some number. You know, I squatted. I always wanted to squat 800, and I did 820. I always wanted to bench 500, did 505, and deadlift over 7, and did 740. And then I was like, yeah, I don't feel like that's it. You know, I had these goals. Whoa. So I, when was that? Uh, 2001, I believe. Or, Whoa. Yeah, I think that's so. yeah. 
that's legit. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, there's a lot more people. I mean, my uh, one of my spotters was Kirk Kowalski. He did a thousand for two, so I was uh, like, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But anyway, so. Yeah, I guess 800 is okay. Yeah, he probably did like 800 with like a set it. of jeans without a belt because he was kind of he tired. He did 800 for five with a belt on. What a dick. Yeah, he's <laughs> probably the best squatter ever to ever put weight yeah. on his back. Maybe him and Ed Cohn. But... Yeah. And, and we, anyway, sorry for interrupting. We grew up in like, uh, we played against each other in high school. You know, Kirk's a pretty good friend of mine. He's, I had him come up. We have a lifting competition for the football players called the Iron Quaker. I know it doesn't sound too tough. Um <laughs> I had him come out and squat for the guys before we started. He did 500 for five with like a little bit of a warm up, and this was like four or five years ago, and they went crazy. It was really cool. I mean, having Kirk spot you while you're squatting is is pretty motivational, you know. But anyway, where was I? Oh yeah, so I went from lifting, and I was like, all right, I got to find something. So Philly's a great boxing town. So I went to. Uh, I had a trainer named The Wiz, Robert Hill, The Wiz, and he's sort of well-known around here and started boxing with him. And I was like, well, let me get back into Muay Thai. So I trained with some guys and they're like, uh, there's a fight up in North Jersey. You want to do it? So I did. I did a fight up in North Jersey. I did a tough man contest. The best thing about the tough man is I got my nose broken and there's blood. I mean, I came back to the corner to The Wiz. He's old school. He had a frozen spoon a, a dipped in ice he had a, for in case you got swelling. I was like, man, what are you doing with that spoon? <laughs> and I come to the the corner, and I was just, I mean, the guy was, the guy shattered my face. And I was like, uh, he said, how do you feel? I said, how do I feel? I feel like crap. I said, uh, tell me what to do. And he goes, well, you need to duck a little more than you're doing right now. Wow, excellent. <laughs> like, Thanks a lot, man. You know, the bell's ringing. I'm going back out there. Duck, duck. Yeah. Did he take the frozen spoon and, and uh, did, he, did he take the back of the spoon and push it on the, uh, like, like where the cuts were? Try to keep him down. Well, that's what it was for, but you know, yeah. no, we never got to the spoon. He but, uh, hit you in dude, the base. No, when uh, when I was doing the box day, it was a uh, cold quarters. So yeah. if you got hit, they would take a cold quarter exactly. and press it on your face. Yeah. Um. So I did that, and then I'm just always looking for something, you know. So I did some bodybuilding, which was, you know, awful. I did that. I did two bodybuilding shows just last year. Yeah, that's a picture on the internet of face bodybuilding. So yeah. if, you, if you do some Google images, Google uh, Jim Steele bodybuilding, with some good stuff that comes up. Perfect. I just want a lot. Of, I just want challenges. So I was just thinking, what can I do for the kids? You know, our athletes. That's fun. And then, what can I do for myself? I would try it out first. That it's the footwork, and I haven't done before. So when I, when Randy said this stuff is great, I found a guy in Philly, Joe Levan, who comes over and he's teaching me slowly but surely how to do this stuff, and it's really interesting. And I, I, I like the self-defense stuff, and uh, it's, it's some cool. I'm, I collect knives, so that's cool too. Yeah. Hey, you know, I have a. I'm curious with all of this uh, varying experience and all this training variation. Uh, just have you had a history of injuries besides, you know, the, the broken nose? Obviously, I'm, I imagine that you probably put your body through like gamut. Yeah, it doesn't feel great, but um, I had a couple of elbow surgeries, and uh, I never had it. I had Osgood Slaughter's really bad, but I squatted since I was in like eighth grade. So even though I played nose guard. And back mm -hmm. then, you could hold a guy up and then cut him. And I, my ankles would constantly get screwed up, but I never had a knee issue. Um, really? Yeah, never had a knee issue. That's I had great. back surgery two years ago. You know, I had a you know a bunch of disc stuff, and the sciatica was brutal, man. So finally got that cut on. You know, you get I got you know broken fingers. John knows all, but you know you get the tips of your fingers and your knuckles, and you get all these calcium deposits and. Uh, 
But you seem pretty nonchalant. You know, the one thing that'll kill you the fastest is the couch, right? And that's what Henry Rollins says, I think. Yeah. That, that's nice. Well, you know, the, part of my deal is that the, the guys that I've seen that have fared the worst after playing are the guys that stopped training. Yeah. So I had kind of this idea that, like, if I stopped or we kind of chilled out or didn't keep trying to push the goal, that the wheels were going to fall off. And when the wheels fall off, like, there's no way you could fucking bolt. Like, my, so. my mantra is, you know, you got to be like a shark. If you stop moving, you die. Yeah. Sharks never. That's, that's, I can't. That's I, your mantra. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not. That's you're one. Not of, you're not moving right now. Dude. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've never heard that mantra before, and I've known you a couple of years. Yeah. Did you just make that up? Yeah, right? I did. Okay. Just uh, on the spot right now. <laughs> I like it. I've been watching a little bit of Shark Week. Don't worry about it. Um. <laughs> so, so Jim, let's uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about kind of your. I'm curious as to how you and John sort of know each other. I know you said it's through RIP or your doc, uh, Dr. No, Wagner. I, actually, I think uh, the first interaction, I was trying to go back, I looked, I think you shot me an email yep. after uh, after my 42 things I had learned or something like that. Oh, yeah, time. that was it, yeah. Yeah, and I remember we emailed back and forth. Yeah, you and, don't write uh, enough. Your stuff is really inspirational, man. I know you're busy, but that stuff is really great. Yeah, I, I've been. I, I need to write more. It's just uh, with all the other things we do. I, and, and with that, with being so ridiculously good looking. Best <laughs> <laughs> looking man in Philadelphia. In Philadelphia. In, yeah. In, <laughs> Asterisk. Oh man. Uh, that's uh, yeah. yeah so you, you, I emailed you. Yeah, saying that was great. Yeah, and, and that was nice. And I, I had uh, of course known your name cause, through Rip, and he had spoken about you, and um, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know. As you know, when you get on the phone with Rip, you usually have to call him on his on his gym line because he doesn't right. pick up his cell phone. It's usually about ten o'clock at night, and he's just getting ready to go lift some weights. Yep, he's a... so I try to explain to people that Rip keeps the worst hours. If anybody he like gets up at around noon, yep. gets to the gym about four, and usually starts training about midnight. He, I think when we went to dinner with him, we ate at like three o'clock or yeah. three a.m. It was fucking yeah. brutal. I remember when I called, I, I called, I called him to like interview me. He's like, yeah, I emailed like briefly with him and. I think he has an AOL account still, but yeah, he uh, but he's like, how about sometime in the evening after work, like 4:15? I'm like, okay, 4:15, all right, after in work in the evening. In the yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, I went down there, yeah. hung out with him. That was really cool, you know. Uh, Jim Wendler and I did a seminar down there, where people came in and we talked and they, inter you know, they asked us questions and spent a couple of days there. It was really cool, but. Went out to his house, I mean, in the middle of nowhere, man, which I love. And it was like a planetarium, you know. There's no reflection from the city because there's no city. Nice. And, yeah, it was really cool. His stone structure, he lives in a one Yeah, one man, don't flush the toilet. Are you yeah. curious? So, yeah. so what he did is he, I uh, go to his house. He, he basically, they poured concrete slab. And yeah. He, uh, he, he built forms yeah. that are about 36, 48 inches and then had a truck come and they dumped composite mixed with water and yeah. like some other like I don't know what up sand or something and he basically built these kind of like concrete composite walls and then built a So yeah, plant. some I mean this is like a whole other podcast, but you can use like different like hay or whatever composite yeah, stuff or broken down wood and like and, shit. And like then that. he has like a plate and then he collects rainwater and yeah. oh my God. like a generator and uh, it's it's fucking Spartan. That's fucking awesome. But he sleeps on like a big ass bear skin. Now, um, <laughs> he does not. I swear to God, and, and he does not sleep on a bear skin. The best part is, is uh, Rip's entire house is like, rid of, like you can tell that like no child has ever been there because there's just knives and sharp things. Yeah. And whiskey, whiskey everywhere. And whiskey. A wall of whiskey. <laughs> yeah. There's a wall of whiskey in his house. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, it, it was like these nasty, like little, like short barrel, uh, like uh, shotguns. I mean, there was like all like I'm like picking up these hatchets. There's this yeah. chainmail over here. There's a, a mace. I'm like, sounds like a dungeon. I'm like, where are we? This is fucking Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah, he's got the Viking, the Viking thing going on. Well, Jim, let's let's get back to um, kind of your line of work because I know a lot of our listeners are are coaches themselves. Um, Tex also has a ton of experience coaching at the high school and collegiate level um, in terms of the strength and conditioning aspect, right. working with teams and that that dynamic with the sports coach. Um, you know, Tex, do you want to do you want to kind of kick off a few questions that we typically see from our coaching standpoint? Definitely. So, uh, first question I have is, how do you constructively approach sport coaches who try to force certain conditioning or things they want to see in the weight room into your program? Well, you know, I've learned over the years, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta listen to everybody, and some ideas are actually worthwhile. Um, you know, I think, you know, you put your foot down when it's not safe for the kids. So if, you know, somebody wants to finish up with uh, band pulls or something or tricep pushdowns with a band or on a rack or something, and, and we've already done our squats, deadlifts, presses, and, and cleans, okay, you know, that's no problem. Um, I try to explain to a lot of the coaches, you know, how important strength is. And then as far as conditioning, I think over the years, now, everybody's learned a little more, you know, as far as even if you're not a strength coach. The problem with that is some of the things you learn aren't so great. But uh, conditioning-wise, I always try to explain, well, you know, I don't think you want to do that long-distance running because that's not the energy system that you're going to play. And, you know, try to try to explain everything with science. And, and you know, the coaches are pretty smart here. They, they usually get it. Um, now, of course, I've been in other places where, well, if the national team does this, we have to do it. I'm like, you know, where's the national players on your team, you know? Uh, you know, certain people, and John, you've played with those guys that can come in anytime they want and bench 450 or whatever. You know, those are the freaks of the world. They can do anything training-wise and, and get good. So if you use pros and, and top-level people as your, you know, models, a lot of times that's not the best way to do things. So you just try to explain to them scientifically and you give and take. You can't give, you can't give on the basics, though. You know, everybody squats here. Everybody cleans. Everybody deadlifts. Um you know, or a variation of some of those things, but really it's, those are the things you can't give on and you can meet halfway on some of the gimmicky stuff. You know, we try to finish with competitive stuff. They love that. We do everything from wheelbarrow races. We just got a bunch of sandbags, just anything, anything to keep it competitive and fun. Coaches like that. Jim, I call, that the, uh, I, I call that the curse of the gifted. And we used to talk about that all the time. And especially at the seminar, we, I go into extensive, you know, kind of linked with this, where it's like you can't look at the best athletes in the world. Right. And literally, I just made this point the other day. Uh, we, we taught one in Sacramento. I'm like, I played with guys that ate chicken McNuggets for every meal yeah. and Diet Cokes and were 3% body fat. I played with a guy, Brian Waters, who uh, literally sat on the couch, did lift weights for six months. And I know because when he came back, he was fat and shit. <laughs> Laid down and repped out. Like, I think he was like, you know, 525 for five, like it was nothing. Jeez, it was like, man. I think it took all five seconds. I mean, it was like boom, 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 and yeah. wrecked up. He goes, well, you got them. Like, I got that, and believe me, I fucking haven't missed a day in 10 years. So yeah. um, these guys are absolute genetic freaks. And, like, you know, the problem is, is you run into a lot of these strength coaches that put out these programs or, you know, like we've seen uh, some higher or what would we would consider high-level coaches because they're training high-level right. athletes and because they're training. And they have all these wacky fucking methods and bands and doing all this stuff about the nervous system. And then some kid looks at it and thinks, oh, that's what I need to do to get better. 
And I'm like, dude, uh, you're taking a guy that is already so genetically gifted and is that point zero 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 one percent. You can't look at what he did right. and think that if you do that, you can build a there. whole and program on it. Yeah. it. It's basically been the foundation of, you know, I, I got into this thing kind of on accident in that uh, I was still playing and then I got injured, uh, had knee surgery, and that's when CrossFit hit me up about teaching my stuff to the CrossFit community. And, um, you know, went out and I was like, hey, this is what I did. But don't be foolish enough to think that if I tell you what I did, uh, it'll work for you. So here's the best method, or best method that I've found for training beginners, which is basically rips linear progression. And right. um, any, anybody that hasn't done a linear progression should do linear progression. And anybody that's never lifted weights should do that linear progression because once you get to the end, you basically reach that base level of strength. Right. Like even if you go away from the weight for 10 years, you come back to and get right back to it. Yeah. So it's um, it you know, and what kind of pisses me off a little bit, and I'm sure you're in the same boat, is that like people try to constantly, constantly like evade the basics or try to like, oh no, 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 we, we don't need to do that anymore. We're going to do this, right. and it just ends up fucking everything up. Yeah, and so. it's like you know, you see people say, oh, he's strong enough. No, he's not. No, he's not strong enough. No, well, what is too strong? We always talk about that. You know, uh, you know, as a as a football player, when is he too strong? You know. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, people to try to, you know, people try to get away from the basics because they don't like that uncomfortable feeling in the bottom of the squat when you feel like your head's going to explode. And, um, you know, you have to go to the most uncomfortable place on all these exercises to get really good and to get really strong. Um, people but, avoid it. Path of least you, resistance, right? You yeah, referenced, you re referenced uh, like long distance running or longer distance or inappropriate distances for like conditioning, say, like field sport athlete who who's a contact sport athlete, right? Um, what are some other myths or, or trends that continue to be like rampant in your typical college weight room that are just, um, they're just not relevant anymore, you know, yeah. that are people are holding on to kind of old school methodology just because their coach did it? Um, well, see, now it's getting a little better because I think CrossFit has made everybody more aware of the Olympic lifts and, and stuff. But, you know, a few years ago, the BOSU ball thing, and the big inflatable ball thing, um, <laughs> insanity, you know, all that stuff, you know, the amount of plyos those guys are doing in those videos and everybody getting hurt by doing that stuff um, yeah. instead of just trying to get strong first. You know, when you're strong, you know, I always try to tell these people, when you're strong, all that stuff is easy Yeah. when you're yeah. really strong. But yeah, they, can't get, they can't get off of the ball and squat 500, you know, there's no way. But um you know, all that stuff comes and goes, man, and you just stick to the basics. Now, you know, things have changed as far as programming, and I love programming and different ways of programming thing, and there's a lot more information out there. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. It seems like, you know, and, and I have a couple athletes that are like, oh, can we do CrossFit? And I'm not against anything, you know, you're training, whatever you're doing, but I'm saying, you know, for your sport, that's probably not the best thing in the world. I'm not a huge fan of high rep snatches and cleans. Um so, you know, I try to explain that to them, but I don't, you know, it's not like it's going to kill you if you if you do that once in a while, you know, but that's a trend that, that you see. What's you can, unique about college and I guess definitely professional but higher end high school is you have athletic training staff that's pretty knowledgeable and many yeah. gym owners or coaches who are just in the private sector don't have that opportunity. Can you talk about your relationship with the athletic training staff, the back and forth and just kind of communicating about athletes well-being applying yeah. what they need well, it's funny in the way you know yeah I mean uh, Eric Ladano is the head trainer and he uh, he's my supervisor but he's a pretty good friend of mine and we literally I mean, he was texting me right before this started 
you know, I get the injury report every morning. Then, you know, the kids will, will come in a, into the training room. I'll get a text about that, you know, make sure what's his name doesn't actually load today. And, you know, he's got his CSCS, so Eric understands that kind of stuff. And then um, I meet with the physical therapist, you know, once a week. We have our doctors right here in Franklin Field. So our communication with the athletic trainers is excellent. I mean, we talk literally. I mean, during football season, there's probably not a couple hours that go by where Eric and I aren't communicating on something, you know, uh, a kid or a rehab protocol, something that we're going to do, um, you know, for the injured kids during Sunday night practice. It's it's all the time. So I'm fortunate. I've heard some horror stories, but uh, I think you have to work together today, you know. I think it's such a – well, there's so many injuries now coming out of high school everybody's injured and it's not just here. I mean, everywhere I've talked to there's it's, it's these injuries that I never even heard of before, um, you know, compared to the quote unquote old days. So you have to have, Do you think they're overuse injuries? I think so. I think kids specialize at a young age, you know, I think, you know, I know I have, uh, kids that I know that oh, they got the batting instructor, they got the, you know, the year round baseball and they, you know, they, they have all these personal coaches and it's all baseball, 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 or whatever sport, you know, and they end up getting a shoulder injury and they never even, well, by that time, they don't even want to play in college, man. You know, they're burned out. Right. But you see, you see a lot of that. And then you end up, you know, I would say out of, you know, 85 active football players, probably 20 guys at least are on individualized workouts, you know, and uh, just because of injuries and, and, you know, surgeries and things like that, you know, they bring a notebook in and I actually write them out in a notebook you know, every day I'll say, look, look what we did last time and let's go from here and just modifying programs, you know, so you got to have the relationship. I'm fortunate because all that stuff, you can, you can get hurt on the field here and walk into get an x-ray and walk to get a, a MRI. Cause you know, HUP is right. You know, hospital university of Pennsylvania is right next to us and sports medicine's in the field. So we're fortunate. You know, usually the relationship with the with the trainer can be kind of a little uh, tumultuous, I would imagine, with the strength coach. Because a lot of those guys are pretty smart. They all went out and they got their CSCS and they, they got kind of certified as strength coaches, but yet they're not actively teaching, uh, you know, people to train lift the weights. And it's, you know, I remember when I was at Cal, we had a pretty good uh, trainer, a guy named uh, Mike Chaplin, and uh, he actually owned a gym and, you know, you know, was, uh, was an AT, was an ATC, was a strength coach and had enough tools in his toolbox to actually understand and talk to you. Whereas some of the other trainers, even though they were certified in it, had never touched a weight in their life. And all of a sudden you're going in there. And I remember uh, after I tore my ACL going in and squatting and one of the trainers being like, no, no, you can't squat below parallel. And then actually the doctor, the orthopedist came and talked to me about all the reasons about that I should never squat below parallel. Really? I swear to God, and I remember... Uh, like, assuming they were saying that even a healthy person should nobody, not nobody be... Should no ever, one should. Nobody right, because there and would and be I, a situation where, well, you know, some people maybe shouldn't if it causes... Some yeah, sort they of felt... Um, so, I, I was... Uh, I, I trained in high school with, uh, a, you know, powerlifter George Sengs. Sure. And it was like... Marathon suit. You know, I mean... Yeah, 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 George. Uh, I, I basically, 14 years old, trained in uh, George's garage, wow. and uh, he trained all the football players. Really cool. And so, you know, it was, dude. If uh, the the comment was, if there, if you don't stand up and I can't see splinters in your butt, it wasn't deep enough, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, that was the the mod I came out of. And then I hurt my knee, and then they're basically like, you can't squat below parallel. And then those guys, and then that basically that staff got fired, and they brought in Todd Rice, who was a pure Olympic lifting coach. And at that point, it was like I hadn't developed any of the musculature, the strength, the flexibility, squat below parallel, and he just fucking went sideways, and it took me over a year to be able to. Yeah, he dropped your 
weights were way down, right? And got you. Got uh, yeah, well, I, I wasn't allowed to, uh, to back squat. I only oh. got to front squat. And then finally when I, because I, I squatted 6'10 when I was 19. Damn, dude. And then, uh, and then I tore my ACL, and then I came back, and then um, I ended up front squatting 500, so 200, 232 kilos. And at that point, I got to back squatting. Yeah. What's cool is, though, that he also appreciated, like, the, the time that it takes. Like, he was he was looking at you as, like, almost like a multi-year approach, right? So he knew what needed to happen. Todd Rice, right? No. He didn't. No, he just said you're never back squatting. Oh, he said, oh, I thought the whole goal was to get you back to a position where you no. could. Uh, no, wow. no, no. He just basically said you're not allowed to bench press or do back squats. Yeah. So I had to front squat press, and then I would go down to the RFC or the uh, whatever, like the rec center. After and I would go bench press down at the rec center because he would let me bench at the. But gym. then it didn't take you very long to get back to your. No, and and then when we tested, I bench 500 pounds, and he was yeah. trying to tell me the re- he was like really trying to tell me all the reasons why uh, pressing helped my bench 500, and I was like, no, it was that called Louis Simmons <laughs> and the West Side shit I was doing down at the rec. Oh, uh, we're doing some yeah. side stuff. Yeah, so in uh, I I wanted to bench 500 pounds, and so that 96, um, I called Louis Simmons. We 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 had the bench uh, West Side videos. And at the end, it's like it puts up the number, and so I went up to the office and I called, and Lou picked up, and I talked to Louie. So he's, like, he's so cool. Me, he call, he'll call you back. He'll talk to you forever, man. Yeah. And I mean, just some kid and want to bench 500. Well, here's what you do, and he put the program together, and it was like, uh, you know, basically rotated uh, close grips, floor press, and incline, and then we just and then did speed work, and then all this assistance. And he's like, when you can bang out, I think it was like. The 150 dumbbells for a set of 20 or something, you'll reach 500. And so he and he told me to work triceps and he laid out the program cool. and I was like, great. And then I did it and uh, ended up benching 500. It's cool. He has like a like he's seen so many people go through the process where he's like, you'll see an old man at the end and when yeah. you get there, you know you'll well, we'll, bench we'll, 500. Well, yeah, Louis's like, oh, you want to bench 500? You need at least 150 dumbbells. If you want to bench 5.5, yeah. you're gonna need 180. He's like, if you want to bench. 550, you're gonna need 200 pound dumbbells. Yeah. Well, He's like, how big a dumbbell do you have? I'm like, I think we have 150s. He's like, you're gonna get 500. Gonna need a bigger boat. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean, but so I, I, dude, I've been so fortunate with like, you know, strength coaches and that I had, you know, Zangus, and you know, when I was young, and then you know, a guy named Eric Cohen, and then obviously Todd Rice, which you know, thank God, uh, I got to go into a pure Olympic lifting program. And you know, I credit him with a lot of a lot of the stuff. So I was hey, really lucky. Jim, I have a question for you since we're talking about uh, numbers and benchmarks and things like that. Yeah. How do you nav- how do you navigate uh, some of your athletes really focusing on their training as the training being the test versus um, performance on field being the test? Do you get athletes who come in there and it's all about how many reps they can do? You know, how many times they can rep out 225 on bench? Um, you know, is it does it ever swing to a, a, a position where that becomes the emphasis over application? Um, you know, or, or is that ever a problem? That, oh yeah, you have some kids, you know, that are really into lifting and aren't into the sport so much. And you know, I try not to focus on who's good and who's bad, and just you know, make everybody really strong and and fast and all that stuff. But uh, you know, it's so so much time involved. I think in the old days, see, our, our kids here, the academics is so huge. The time that they have to spend studying, the uh, labs they have to go to, the tutoring and all that stuff. So even if you're really into it, you got an hour, man, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So uh, you got to do the, sort of just the program, and then they get their curls in, which they do every day no matter what, and then they're sort of out of here. And if they, if they do stuff on their own because they're in the bodybuilding or whatever, they may do that. But it's not... 
I think I've seen a little decline in that where somebody's just really into lifting and, and uh, compared to the years past. Mm -hmm. And it may just be here because it's Ivy League, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, um, you know that's that's a good transition. I think you see it more at the high school level. To be honest, yeah. they're probably got a bit more time on their hands, and it's just sort of. Um, you know, you, you have football clubs all over the country who have these benchmarks and, um, you know, and, and unfortunately, um, you know, there are a ton of kids who might be otherwise athletic that will never reach those benchmarks, but could potentially like be good athletes maybe in another sport or something else, you know. I always wondered what were the, uh, are there a lot of challenges being, um, you know, a coach in the Ivy League? I, I remember as a young high school kid getting a call from some Ivy League schools that were like, uh, we're probably, you know, we don't do scholarships. We can help with my financial aid, right. and and uh, you know, like I'm sure you guys go out and recruit some people. And uh, you know, while the education's great and a lot of things, it's kind of tougher to get some high level recruits just for the mere fact that you don't have the same, I guess, the same options in terms of uh, scholarships. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to have a kid whose parents can see that, you know, to make it in pro football is very, very tough. But, but to get an education at Warden Business and to get in is amazing, and you're gonna. You know, the alumni base that we have to get kids jobs uh, is incredible. So, um, you know, even if you're a great player, man, it's tough to get in those pros. But, you know, if you can get in Warden, it's even tougher. So, you know, if you got somebody who's forward thinking um, and is a good athlete, you can get a kid like that. Uh, you know, I think that's why strength conditioning is important in this, in this league because it can really be a leveler against, you know, like put you on the same level as another team that may be better than you skill-wise or have scholarships if your kids are stronger. Um, you know, it's, I was thinking about what you just said before. In the old days, maybe before the internet, I don't know, but everybody talked about <laughs> bodybuilding a lot more. So, like when Arnold, see, nobody talks, kids don't talk about bodybuilding anymore. It used to be, well, I read Arnold did this, or I read Menser. No. See, because they're so different looking now. So you could, now Arnold was amazing and Franco, but you could sort of picture yourself being like that. You know, you just thought that looked really cool. <laughs> but these days... You know, the way they look and the, the, the price of definition and all that stuff, kids don't even talk about it. Everybody used to have muscle and fitness or muscle builder power or the new flag. Yeah. And none of these kids, none of these kids even talk. Well, everyone's driving to like a weekend warrior, even people who after school, even oh. after collegiate sports. They, I mean, it really is. People want, people want the element of competition. I'm a lacrosse player from college, and then I, I coached some college ball. Cool. But I'm curious of how you approach sprint mechanics for your – or stick sports. Do you just still focus on run mechanics, or you just let uh, do you bring the stick out to sport, or just kind yeah, of? Well, you're not allowed to. So there's certain times of the year you're not allowed to have the stick out there. And so, um, you know, I have women's lacrosse, and hopefully, if we win three more games, it'll be nine championships in a row. They're amazing. And um, you know, I do all their conditioning and their running. We do a lot of change of direction stuff. We do a lot of tag drills, which which is really fun for the athletes, but it simulates what they're doing. Um, you know, we do some sprint mechanics that so we test in the 40 and stuff. You know, kids want numbers, but does it really do any good to, to focus on their start to drop their 40 down a little bit? Not really. I teach them it because it, it, it teaches them some strength stuff that they're not used to being in that position. Um, but I try to make it as similar to what they're going to do on the field. I don't care if they're in shape when they're six months out of the season, you know. Uh, we have huge, you know, we have the rest periods, and they're just standing there. And if you came out, you'd be like, what are they doing? I'm like, I'm trying to get them faster. I don't, they don't have a game, you know. Um, we run a lot of stadium steps. But for those athletes, that's more of a, uh, a strength thing, you know, the, the stadium steps. Mm -hmm. um, 
but a lot of try to be as specific as I can to the sport, change of direction, change of direction. We do a, you know, a lot of awareness of where you are when you're moving. You know, we I want them to do, um, you know, different types of mirror drills and things like that. I do a women's across. Yeah. So yeah, now the sprint mechanics, you would, you would look at a track team and say, well, they're warming up the same as the track team because they're just warm up mm -hmm. drills, but not during the workouts. Yeah. I, uh, strength and conditioning for a women's uh, lax team in college, and what we did was a lot of different reaction drills. So it was sound, it was yeah. it was vision, just stuff they That's weren't great. get they were getting in practice. They just didn't know they were getting in practice. We had a lot right. of fun with that. Right. right. Yeah, they're studs, man. I love I love coaching them. You know, my I have volleyball, field hockey, and women's lacrosse, and all those three teams. They have a lot of fun, and they work really hard. You know, and not for long. I mean, they don't work. Our workouts, our weight workouts with them, maybe 30, 35 minutes of intense work. I mean, obviously you got the warm up and the foam roll and all that stuff, but man, they don't—they're not going for very long. They're just—they just, just want to know what's next. You know, it's interesting. And uh, I, I try to keep in touch with as many college coaches as I can, just to keep those contacts. And then I had an interesting conversation with one guy recently, and it was about budget cuts. So then he did some digging, and they—they they cut 10% of his budget and he wanted to know where he was going and it turned out to be the athletic training department for kind of the surgeries and then the, the doctor's appointments and I thought that was crazy. It was like why not why doesn't he approach him to say hey maybe we can try to uh, work on some strength and conditioning to prevent these injuries right. uh, but it was just way way too far above his head right. and uh, I was curious uh, do you have any, uh, do they come to you with these issues or do they just say hey you're getting cut 10% or how do they approach that no, actually, uh, kind of Actually, you know, here we have a new athletic director. A lot of our facilities are new, so we have a lot of focus on us. So, other, you know, we we sort of getting what we need right, right now, um, which I'm pleased about because everybody is mandated to train. So all 33 sports are mandated to train. So we touch and we have 900 athletes. So, you know, if you're going to really cut a lot of stuff away from that, the athletes aren't going to get, you know, what they need as far as uh, strength and conditioning or injury prevention. And you know. Uh, and this hasn't been everywhere I've gone, but we have a lot of, a lot of our, you know, trainers and physical therapists, they're sort of on board, you know, with the, uh, yep. with the strength and conditioning. So when they talk to the AD or whoever they talk to the alumni, they say, man, this is something that we really need to have, or this is something that we, that is, uh, you know, helping us from getting hurt. So we're pretty fortunate. And uh, speaking of, um, sorry, go ahead, Tex. Uh, I was just curious about how you, uh, take that ability to connect with female athletes because one issue I had is they were thinking soreness was an injury and just a couple other just little things right. and then it was hard for me to just connect just because I was coming from a different background. Right. Um, I always sit the team down, the freshmen, and say, what are your concerns? You know, what, what are you worried about? Uh, and of course, it's muscle growth. I explain how that's not going to happen. Um, you know, that they'll just be, you know, we're fortunate we got a bod pod too, so they can't, if they gain any weight, we know if it's muscle or, you know, adipose tissue. But, um, you know, they have those concerns coming out of high school because a lot of high schools, you know, don't lift their female athletes. But it's not always a bad thing because they don't have those bad habits and they don't have those huge opinions on, oh man, we got a box squat and we got a, you know, or whatever they did in high school that I'm like, okay, well, here's, I mean, you know, there's merit to everything, but. I really think we should probably go with this route, you know, and, you know, our girls are just like, okay, let's, what are we doing? You know, just teach me how to do it. Um, once you address the concerns of that and say, 
I don't know, I was talking to a volleyball, I don't know if it's volleyball or somebody, I was like, my, if I came out there and played volleyball with you guys, my knees would be all skinned up. I'd be like, man, my, I'm all skinned up. What do I do? And they're like, oh, yeah, it's part of it. Well, it's sort of like the weight room. That soreness is part of it. You know, it's just that I've been doing it since I was, you know, uh, 10 years old, and you haven't. So you just got to get used to it, just like I would have to get used to your sport. Yeah, you know? yeah that's, a, that's a really excellent um, illusion. I think that'll be, like, a really good takeaway. For some people who do who do sort of struggle with, like, yeah, like Tex was saying, you know, sometimes females are just less familiar when they're a novice. Really, any novice athlete it doesn't have to be female; it could be anybody. And you're you inside, you're screaming like, "Stop being such a fucking pussy!" But like, <laughs> but really, like, you can't say that to somebody when you're trying to make them fall in love with the strength and conditioning portion, you know. So, so you have to be a little more tactful. And I think your approach is like spot on. Well, it's a learned thing, definitely. Um, we I, talk about pushing through a rep. That is such a learned thing. You'll see a kid miss miss a squat when they're halfway up and you're like, Oh man, you know, and I'm, you know, you just yes. get them to get that one time. They'll realize yeah. that they keep pushing. It's going to go, but it's definitely yeah. it's hundreds of reps. You know, it's, it's not something that's going to happen the first day. You know, it's, uh, but yeah, it's that is, spend a lot of time with them. That's a really great point. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, just to kind of circle back a little bit, um, is there anything you do with your athletes when they when they're first coming to you that is uh, like your go-to assessment type thing? I mean, that is such a broad sweeping question. I realize that, but like, do you have something that's uh, or like a handful of tools where you're like, I can see a hole in the training right here, or you know, something? Well, like I've that. done it for so long that I, you know, and and. Text, you know this, and John, everybody knows this, that if, if you watch a kid squat right away, you can tell if he's got something going on. Sure. You know, and you can correct him, and you can say, well, you, you know what? I mean, we, I had a kid, a freshman, and I had just come off a of back surgery, and I knew exactly what was going on with his body and, you know, sent him to the trainer, and I was like, there's something going on with this kid. Um, but fortunately, usually, so usually I start everybody off with the bar, and we check out everything. We teach everybody's form because everybody's ego is so big when they come out of high school. I got to impress the coach. Well, you're not going to impress me starting with the bar. Um, but just check out that. And then we have a force plate that we have from, uh, actually, I think one of John's former strength coaches at Cal Davis, Phil Wagner, invented this force plate that measures, you know, without going into it a whole bunch, your load explode and drive and mm -hmm. figure out where their strengths and weaknesses are from this measurement after doing these six vertical jumps. It's amazing. Um, the Falcons and the Jaguars have it too, and Kansas basketball. Um, so now we're, we're going to use that when the freshmen come in to figure out their deficiencies. And the good thing is, is that Phil actually used to work here also, the guy who invented it. So his, his prescription is always squat, deadlift, bench, press, all the stuff that we believe in to get these yeah. weaknesses up. So yeah, um, that's what we're going to use this year. It's cool. The technology is really like, it's, it's catching up, but I mean, there's nothing that can replace your like 30 years experience 30 plus years of just like seeing thousands and thousands of athletes move too so it's like it works in, in conjunction with that coach's well, eye and also like the basics i remember a couple of years ago we had a guy come to the seminar that had uh, owned like a precy speed school right and they had done a test where they had done the precy speed school you know all their overspeed stuff with their treadmills with the precy speed or strength program and then the guy had uh you had gone away and not used that strength program and actually used one of my programs and uh they're basically the gains and the speed and everything that they've done based on all their you know testing matrix like far exceeded like every other precy speed school by not just a little it was like double what everybody else did and they like you know came to this guy and the guy showed up at the seminar because he's like well i was basically stealing your program 
and I like wanted to come to the seminar to talk about the results and figure out how the whole thing kind of fit together. And uh, he's like, it's it's been pretty amazing. And I'm like, well, here's what you're going to do. You know, I mean, it's uh, push, pull, bench, squat, deadlift, clean. I mean, it was so basic. Right. And then he showed me what they did. And I'm like, well, how could you ever expect any of these young kids to get better when you only repeat a movement like once every 30 exactly. days? And like, it just looked like a clusterfuck of humanity. I looked at this program and I was like, this gives me a, a headache. How could you expect a 14-year-old kid uh, to really start uh, even execute this program? Right. And that's always like, there's not enough swings at, at the ball. Yeah. Well, they got to keep them interested too. I'm not saying Parisi's, but a lot of these play kids come from having their own guy. And I'm like, why did you do all that stuff? And they're like, well, I don't know. He said, you know, want want to keep. You know, I guess he was trying to keep me interested. And I'm like, yeah, but he didn't oh make my it. Oh it's, man, it's not fucking dating. It's coaching. Yeah. Like, it's um, it's a little different when you when you when you hand somebody a check. I think, you know, oh yeah, a little different. A little different. Oh yeah. Um, hey, let's talk a, a little bit about your your life kind of out, outside of the the gym. Um, I mean, yeah. you're an author and uh, an accomplished author. And uh, you know, what are some other like what what inspired you to to write? And you know, how does that play a role in your life? I've always I've always written um, I've always written poems and written little short stories and just never published them. And then. Uh, I just decided to put it all together one day and gave myself a deadline and I wrote like 500 words a night for for a while I just made myself do it and and you know uh, John Schaefer uh, he had Strengthville I know John knows him um, he published the first book and then uh, he sort of took a different tact in his and stuff that he was focusing on so I published the book of programs and I had a little chat book of fiction published and then I, I write pretty much every day I don't know I've always felt a calling to do it and I yearn for great books man I'll go forever to get a great book uh, I order hard to find Hemingway books or first edition stuff and, and my mom was an English teacher so she always had a rule that if any book I wanted she would buy my dad was like go to the library <laughs> you know but you know to own a book is something different and and uh, she really cultivated that and you know and I used to get criticized in school all he reads is sports stuff yeah but I'm reading I'm reading I would hide the Inside Sports Magazine or Sports Illustrated Magazine, put it on the floor during math class and read it. And that's why I wasn't very good at math. But um, <laughs> I always love reading. So anyway, I just started writing and I write and I write a blog. And I mean, I don't get paid for any of that stuff. I just I just like doing it. And if it helps somebody, you know, I get bored writing about training. I'm, I like more motivational stuff. Yeah. Um, and I train, uh, I train hunting retrievers. I got two Labradors that, that are like my kids. And uh, I train them, and I got a buddy who's a professional dog trainer, and I go down there all the time, and we go duck hunting and goose hunting, and training dogs is something I really, really love, really love. That's that's super cool. Um, yeah. What what what? Would, that's what I, a perfect morning would be to do some squats, maybe hit the heavy bag, and then take your dogs out for a good do, uh, goose or duck hunt. That would be it. I picture that all the time out in the woods somewhere, you know. That's what. Yeah. That's my that's my fantasy. Yeah, are 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 you you're married, right, Jim? Because yeah. I was gonna say we we could totally put on like a like a whole dating thing here. Like this is Jim's ideal first date. He likes yeah. to take his dogs out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm married. Well, we'll, I'm married. Happily married. Yeah. We'll, well, we'll there'd, scratch there'd that be a, uh, There'd be a bunch of dudes that'd be like, man, I just want to go out in the woods <laughs> with your dog, yeah. and lift some weights. Sounds pretty good. Luke, Luke got all the I, I was. I'm like, like, this sounds he's like you got dogs. <laughs> you know, we should get them. Yeah. These dogs are amazing. These dogs, you know, I, I, I sit there and uh, I got three boys too, but I sit there and I go in the basement with my dogs sometimes, just late at night, just hang out with them, man, because they, you know, they don't expect anything out of you. They, 
They love you no matter what. They're always happy to see you. What kind of, what kind um, of labs are they? Uh, black Labradors. Oh, yeah. nice. Beautiful. Yeah, like that's like the classic bird, like duck hunting, bird hunting dog, right? I, I, I used to think yes. that, uh, like that, that quote where it's like, I want to be as good as my dog thinks I am. And like, <laughs> I, I used to have um, my first dog who's passed away was like that. And the dog I have now could care less. Every day I walk in, I'm like, yep, I'm just as good as he thinks I am. And he <laughs> care less about me. Awesome. Yeah. It's like dogs and cars, man. That's like it's, and guns. And guns. Yeah. Man. I love, I love, I love and barbecue. <laughs> and twins. <laughs> Sorry. And, and you know, uh, everybody has beards now, man. I had a beard. That's the. <laughs> everybody, I had a beard when I was in uh, high school. I think I started shaving. So I just want to make that point out there to everybody that. Back when it was creepy. The only reason to have a beard is to get a weak chin. So, no, that's oh, not that's true. Bullshit. That's, 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 bullshit. that's, that's what true. my dad told me. My dad told me the only reason a man can grow a beard is he has a weak chin. And he's like, if you have a strong chin, you don't need a beard to hide your face. That's not true. It's 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 just can accentuate the nice chin. Hey, it's not my fault. I mean, I don't know if Bobby has a weak chin. I've never seen his chin. I've seen Bobby's chin. I'll tell you right now, it is not a weak chin. There's there's no part of Bobby this week. Oh my gosh, what are you guys doing? Right now? Uh, well, you guys should get an apartment together. Well, yeah. uh, I'm moving to Seattle. Bobby did not win our, our composition 22 Jack Street Challenge, well, well, so obviously there was a little weakness. We're somewhere. we're starting to get off the rails a little bit, but before we do, I, I want to ask I want to ask Jim if you have a you know I know you said you you've done a seminar with Jim Wendler. I'm sure that was just like one of many thick clinics or things that you've done, um, even probably with Rip. But you know, do you have anything coming up in you know this year over the summer? Anything that you want people to know to get in touch with you? How can they read your um, some of your material as well? It's bossbarbell.com. B-A-S. I named a my Labrador's name after Boss Rudin. I'm like a Boss Rudin huge Boss Rudin fan. So it's bossbarbell.com. And I just put uh -huh. up blogs. I got some books on sale, but you know I don't I don't I mean I care if I sell them, but whatever. I rather just write and have people read it. Yeah. And then. Uh, I don't have. I don't really do seminars much. I have a couple of friends that own CrossFits. Uh, mm -hmm. One in North Carolina. I usually go down there once a year and help her out with stuff. But you know, as John knows, you're pretty busy at the university level. So when you get any time, you know, I want to go train the dogs and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, what's what's next on your training um, uh, agenda? I mean, you've done so much. Is are you getting to the back to the kind of like the fighting stuff, or is it the knife? I hit the bag pretty much every day, but I just do like a little conditioning drill in the bag. Um, mm -hmm. I just, you know, me running is just so boring. I'll, I'll run a hill. I got a hill by my house. I'll run that. But uh, the knife fighting stuff, and then uh, I squat three or four times a week usually, light, heavy, mm -hmm. medium. And when I'm just like, ah, eh, I just, you know, I, doing lap pulls and stuff is just so boring. But I can put a, <laughs> uh, I can squat, press. I don't bench much anymore. I'll do dumbbell bench. Um, and I just, you know, every day I do something because it's such a stress. It's like a calling and it's a stress. But I, I have to do something. I can't not do something every day. Sure. Um, it's always funny to me when people say, well, I just got to get get started. I'm like, what? What, what are you talking yeah. about, man? And, 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 um, and speaking of, uh, you know, training, um, what do you like to listen to when you're training? I know this is like kind of a cheesy question, but. But we do. We always are curious because it gives a little insight on our guests. But what's what's kind of like? Do you listen to music or anything like that? Or are you just purely? Yeah. No. I mean, when I'm here at the university, my music is not. People don't really like my music very much because I like really like outlaw country or black metal, and it's, so it's. Uh, 
it's not real popular. You know, hmm. when they want to put on Kesha. But uh, when I'm in my basement, I got a little squat rack in my basement. And, uh, you know, I like Hank Williams third, Southern Rock, Leonard Skinner, Molly Hatchet, all those people I grew up with. Um, and then some black mm-hmm. metal stuff. My buddy Phil has a band called Recluse. I mean, most people wouldn't like this kind of stuff, but uh, War has a good album I like, <laughs> if you know any of these bands. But a lot of black yeah. metal and a lot of, uh, you know, Southern Rock, hard country kind of stuff. I mean, I've always been a huge Hank Jr. fan. It's not a lot of beat or get you going kind of stuff. It's just sort of like, you know, this is my little area here. Hey, Jim, yeah. you're talking about um, black metal. Are you talking about uh, some of the some of the bands that Wendler listens to? Yeah, Those and super... he, he knows a lot more about heavy metal than I do. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've gotten some tips from him on what to listen to. Dude, it was awesome. Uh, when Jim started name dropping these bands, it was like uh, Rape Jesus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. I well, hate you know, I God, he's Sister definitely. Thrasher. Yeah, it was like. Drinking blood through every orifice. Yeah, I listen to anything yeah. by Phil Anselmo. Phil Anselmo, you know, the lead singer of Pantera. Yeah. You know, I was a huge Pantera fan when I, I went and saw them. Um, but then he had some side bands and he still does. Yeah. Phil Anselmo and the Illegals. Um, I like Down. And I've, I've met Phil a couple times. I always get my wife uh, for our anniversary. That's her present. We go backstage and get our picture taken with the band. and do the VIP thing. So uh, Phil's super cool, man. It, so I listen Phil's to like one of my favorite bands. What's that? Like Pantera's like one of my all-time favorite bands. So yeah. I've probably seen them like five times. Oh, yeah, man. And if you got Phil when he was sober back then, it was amazing. Uh, you amazing. know, the last time I saw him, they did a, a show with White Zombie. Oh. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was in Milwaukee. And, like, the night before, the show was on a Saturday night. That Friday night, he like overdosed on heroin. It was in Dallas, right? And they were like, they were putting it out there like the show might be canceled. And uh, he went out there the next day and he's like, yeah, I almost fucking died last night, but God damn it. I'm going to come out here and fucking kick some ass. I can't miss the show. And they just started going right into it like, like it was just another day at the office. Would you be able to tell if those dudes messed up, though? Like, well, honestly. You're a fan. You know that, Cal. You're a true fan. Well, well Oh, uh, if you've ever been to one of those shows, like people are literally like everybody is. Every lyric is coming oh, out. Oh yeah, like, it's I know. Like I'm just fans, I, just you know? I can't believe he didn't sing this song. You know? <laughs> John, do you have any Pantera stories? Uh yeah, I saw. No. Uh, John's like on everything. I mean, every you, well, you talk about anything, he's like, oh yeah. So I was on this plane one time and I sat next to this guy. And we'll do that. Yeah, my my best plane went on tour with Seven Dust, but uh. The, uh, we no saw kidding. Pantera and yeah, yeah, the guys from Seven Dust were uh, were uh, their drummer uh, Morgan was a big Eagles fan and uh, used to live down the street from me in Clearwater, so I used to hang out when with they, those guys. And they first came out, I really you know, and then they, they went another way, but their first their first yeah, album, their, yeah, yeah that first their album. original stuff and, and their shows were, were pretty aggressive, yeah. but they uh, they kind of went in this more like um, commercialized. I mean, it was almost like I, I remember we were backstage and they were listening to like, the new Nickelback what? album. Nickelback Aloud, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like Nickelback because everybody hates it. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's it's funny because they, they, they were listening to it and I remember they were like, oh man, this new this new album. Like They were like, listening, all going through it and they were like, man, we're, we got to do something like this. And I remember thinking like, no, your stuff is hard. Like, right. Leave it there. And um, But uh, yeah, we saw Pantera. I don't want to say at Ozfest, but I, I might be wrong. Yeah. But uh, it was it was at Veteran Stadium, oh, and 
yeah, I mean, but I, I also saw some killer shows at the Electric. Oh, yeah. I mean, I saw... Got a bunch of them. You're right up next to these people that you're like, oh, man, these are metal gods, and everybody doesn't give a shit, and you're just sitting there, like, right next to these guys. Dude, we saw guys. Uh, Drowning Pool before the lead singer died of... Uh, right. he was, uh, that was the Jägermeister tour, and the guy died drinking Jägermeister and snorting... Oh, not good for a So it was uh, Speedballs and... Jägermeister, so he basically OD'd. It's got to be one or the other. Everybody well, well no, that. I mean, but it was the Jägermeister <laughs> sponsored the tour, and they were somehow like mixing cocaine, methamphetamine with Jägermeister. Either they were drinking it, or I don't know what the fuck they were doing with it. Uh, but uh, I want to say it was with Steve Everett. We saw uh, Pantera at Ozfest with Steve Everett, but I, I can't remember exactly. But I saw the last show, Stone Temple, or one of the last shows, Stone Temple Pilots right. ever did. Was that Electric Factory? I saw um, I saw the Misfits. Wow, a dancing. That's uh, fucking cool, dude. Yeah, we we saw Misfits. Uh, we we went and saw War and ended up War. going backstage. Oh, and Ogres Harungus and those guys ended up coming to the Eagles games and we hung out and drank beers. With yeah, those you guys were you were a celebrity to them and you got you were man, they're yeah. cool. Man. This is cool. Yeah. And then uh, uh, Je- we got invited to see Jack Johnson. And that, okay. that was another one where we were like, uh, we had just gone this and hung out with like, no, but it's, it's uh, <laughs> having, uh, having like one week to see the Misfits and then like um, Drowning Pool and then the next week like, Acoustic. hey, uh, Jack Johnson uh, wants to send you guys tickets. We're like, okay, who's that? And then we show up and we're like, Bubble Toast, awesome. Um, that was like Philly at Electric Factory. It'd be like one week would be the Misfits, and next week would be Jack Johnson. Jim, do you ever judge like their interns or new coaches based off what music they select? When oh my they God, they listen to awful music. Um, you know, I'm just old, man. They're all in their twenties. Well, I think one of, my, one of them just turned thirty. But one, my one's assistant, Steven's a Christian rapper. Do I believe in Steven? He's a well-known. I didn't know it when I hired him because he always jokes, "You wouldn't have hired me if you knew that." Um, my other two girl assistants, they like, I guess, uh, well, Christy likes uh, doom metal, like Wendler does. She likes that. Uh, I don't know what Tracy listens to, but uh, they're, they're, you know, they usually pop is on, and I just, you know, Fred Hatfield had a thing one time where you have to uh, play music that's noxious to you to really focus, and so that's that's what I think. I think when I listen to that, it makes me stronger. Yeah, I had a, uh, a coach one time during my internships. He said that. As soon as they walk in the first day, he judges them if they're going to make it or not based off how tight their shirt is. If it's too tight, they're in it for the wrong reasons, <laughs> yeah. and they ain't going to make it. Yeah, I make all my staff compete, man. You got to compete. Uh, I was telling Callie before we got on that. Let's see, uh, they've all done powerlift. They've all played sports, um, and Christy has the USAPL 198 record right now in the deadlift at 515. Um, Tracy's got the Pennsylvania squat record of four, four oh two or something. Uh, Stevens and USAPL top ten. Strong broads. Uh, yeah, well you gotta. I can't. I don't call them that, but uh, they. Well, no, uh, <laughs> technically, if you live in Philly, broads is uh, acceptable. It's a term of endearment. Those girls. Yeah. Hey, maybe uh, I miss these broads. Maybe I can't say when the field hockey comes in. Here comes the broads, but. Uh, yeah, they're, you know, I, I don't have this, you know, I, I always looked up my coach's bios, man. I was like, who'd you play for? And if they never played, I was like, I'm not, you know, I'm not listening to you. Uh, how strong are you? Or where, you know, did you play anywhere in college? Did you, were you any good? And so I want our kids to be able to say, um, you know, can you show me how to do it? And every single one of my, my strength coaches get under the, get under the bar. Or they can show you how to do everything that, that we ask them to do. I mean, you know, I don't know where it became okay to, for coaches to look like crap and to not be able to do anything, but. 
Dude, I, I got uh, hit up last week to uh, go and coach for a local high school. We, we did a uh, we got commissioned a couple years ago to go and install a strength program at a private high school, and uh, they've done really well. I mean, we actually educated all of their, um, you know, PE teachers and everything in this oh, cool. program, and they went and implemented, you know, just like a, you know, basically your progression and some, you know, five to ten minutes short conditioning mixed modal workouts, and the kids did great. They all loved it, and they, you know, PE exploded. But coach got fired, so I got called back and uh, asked me about coming and kind of doing a reboot. And then I got a call from the head coach, or the, the head coach, uh, when once he figured out who I was, if I would be interested in coming and coaching offensive line. Wow! And uh, I literally laughed and was like, uh, I don't think I can right. do it. And to come and the uh, the guy was like, Well, how come? I mean, you played all these years. I'm like, I had a very unique skill set um, when I played, and I don't know if I could teach uh, high school kids that skill set. And he was like, well, what was that skill set? I'm like, um, you've got to be permanently in a bad right. mood and willing to do whatever it takes to win and do your job. And I don't necessarily know if that's something that I should be going into. No, you can't do that. It's, so, different. it's different, John. It's all different now, buddy. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like, uh, you know, I, I played for, you know, Tom Cable, who is uh, coach sure. of the Raiders and nice offensive line coach for Seattle. He recruited me to, when I went to Cal, and, I mean, we – played a no-holds-barred type of game, and that game actually was really flourishing in the NFL. And since now, like, the NFL has kind of changed, uh, they don't like guys like me anymore. Um, but, yeah, it was pretty interesting. The guy was like, what do you think, you know, this? And I'm like, I don't know if I would be any good at, at teaching a bunch of, like, white privileged kids, uh, you know, what I did. It just, it was one of those things where I'm like, I'm, I'm much better to go and teach the lifts and do some strength coaching stuff because... My patience to coach football players would be right, very small. Right. Well, and it'd be tough because the effort and the effort that you gave versus the effort that you see from a kid. And I coached high school yeah. for two years in Florida, which was a big deal. I actually taught football class in Florida, <laughs> but it's uh, awesome. You know, it's a you know, Florida football is a big deal, and it was frustrating when they don't have that drive that the college kids have. Um, and then the parents are involved, man. The parents. I mean, I left basically because I had a kid who missed a lift, and he was a senior. And I said, don't plan on playing again. You missed your lift. Don't ever plan on playing. Don't pull on my – because I was a defensive coordinator. I said, don't pull on my shirt in the fourth quarter and say you want to play because you don't really care. Because I had coached in college. I thought that was okay. <laughs> and uh, you know, I guess he started crying, and he got his mom. His mom came to the field and thought I was the athletic trainer. So she screamed at the athletic trainer, ripped him up and down. <laughs> Didn't know who I was, you know. <laughs> And so the guy was like, what'd you do? So the head coach had to pull me aside. You can't say this. You can't say that. I was like, I'm out of here as soon as I well, can. Yeah. It's, uh, you, you know, like there's this thing called intrinsic motivation. And it's like, if you don't have intrinsic uh, motivation, then you need external punishment to force motivation. <laughs> and it's like me just being like, you know what? You're going to do a thousand yards of updates. Yeah. I'll come back in three months. Fucking go. Or don't ever come back. And most of these kids, I mean, that was kind of a, you know, like, like how much do you want it? And I think like, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's people out there, but, like, just from what we've dealt with in terms of, like, going out and working with high schools and going out and implementing programs and working with people, right. like, a lot of people the, don't want to suffer and, you know, don't really have that ability to suffer. And I think, if anything, that's the one thing where I've kind of really liked and people shit talk to CrossFit, but I'm like, hey, at least you're getting people out to a situation where they're going to push past what they think is possible and actually suffer a little yeah. bit and are willing to, like, fucking go past where they think they can yeah. because most people are, are afraid. Yeah, I know one of the, I was thinking about this earlier because one of the questions, what, what have you learned like under the bar and stuff? 
I learned so much more from football than I ever did lifting weights. And I love lifting weights. But, but man, you know, I went to school at Gardner-Webb University, which we were NAIA Division One, And, uh, you know, that's pretty good football. I mean, the guy next to me got kicked out of South Carolina. He started as a freshman at South Carolina. The linebacker behind me was from Carolina. You know, sure. it was all these misfits, basically. Sure. And, uh, you know, we had three practices a day. And the water was about 80 yards away. <laughs> if you wanted the water, to, it was the PVC pipe with the water sure. coming out. And... You know, there was just, you learned it's 90 degrees and it's three times a day and it's just the way it is. And who cares, man? You know, this is the, what you have to do. And yeah, you had 4 a.m. train. We had four o'clock train. If you had a hat on inside, if you had an earring on, if you had, if you talk back to a coach, if you talk back to a teacher, if you missed class, you know, that kind of stuff, you got it at 4 a.m. That's it. You got it at 4 a.m. The coach followed you in a van. They had this course you ran around the, the, uh, around the campus. And that was just the way it was. You know, it's a lot different. It's a lot different now, for sure. Well, I mean, um, I think uh, all the best things that I learned in life probably came from football. I mean, yeah. and, uh, it, and it actually wasn't playing in the NFL. It was actually right. all like the high school and kind of the early like college stuff. Once you get to the NFL, it's uh, it's such a cutthroat business that right. it's like, you know, like I just, yeah, I don't, I, I, other, other than, you know, like don't be too friendly with people because they're not going to be there very long. That's what yeah. people learn in the NFL. But yeah, no, it's good. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sad, but. Yeah, I mean, like, as, as much as uh, I like this, like, oh, that'd be kind of neat, I realized I'm like, ah, there's no way I could go out and work with a bunch of high school kids. Okay. And I had, a, I wrote, you're exactly right. I had a, um, talking about coaches, and have, they have such a huge influence on you, good or bad. I had a boys club coach, Mr. Miller. I wrote about this the other day on my blog. He was a Marine. Now, I was 80 pounds when I started playing with him, and all the way up until eighth grade, I played pretty much with him as my head coach. And he was fantastic. He used to say, uh, gather us all in, and he'd say, boys, it's the day before the game. He'd say, have your mama's lock you in the closet and slide raw meat under the door. And I, we would just all look at him. And then he'd say, uh, no bubble baths, no loose women. Now, now, 80 pounds, how old is that? My son's in second grade, and he's like 90 pounds. So we were young. And so I get into the car. My dad was a professor at University of Maryland. But back then, professors weren't rock stars. He wasn't, we were middle class, you know. So I was like, Dad, Coach Miller was, uh, said no loose women tonight. He's like, oh, okay. And, and no bubble baths. Uh-huh. And he said, I'd say, well, tell me all, what's all this meaning. So I'll tell you about it later, uh, son, you know, when you get older. But uh, you grew up around men like that. Now, there's no way the things that he said to me cool. and my team. Why? They, yeah. Oh, my God. It'd be on the front page of the paper. The things that were uh, done to us. Well, the, uh, I always remember uh, we were, I was pretty young. I think I was in high school. And I had an old offensive line, D-line coach, a guy named Dwayne Lyons, and he had to be in his 70s. And he had uh, uh, played, I think, for he had played for Bear Bryant oh, and growing up in West Texas, was an oilfield kid. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, he was one, you know, no teeth, you know, basically had a, 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 um, a big coffee can that was dip, spit, stuck right. to his center console in his old, uh, you know, 73 camper truck. And uh, I remember he used to make comments like, big enough to go bear hunting with a switch. And I remember like, bear hunting right, with right, a switch? Right. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. about? And like, yeah, and I, I remember asking him, and he was so pissed off at me that how, how dare I not know what a switch is. <laughs> it's funny. When I, was, uh, when I was a kid, I used to walk around flexing, and my mom would say, you look big enough to go bear hunting with a switch. I never knew what the hell that well, you know yeah, meant. Uh, you, you yeah. yeah, you go bear hunting with a stick. Sounds fucking badass. I didn't and, know what a switch was. But. And uh, like just a lot of the comments and like the punishment, and we, you know, our head coach was an old Marine, and he, uh, you know, basically uh, his practice, he referred to as the baton death march. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, like just I mean like I I think of the the things like um, 
just little things like uh, we used to have, uh, you know, our blitz was called like a, a jap. So like we got to jap them on this one. These are like, like if I were to say to any football player, like, oh, like, uh, dude, this guy got Normal jap. Normal vernacular. Yeah, like it, it's one of those things that was so ingrained in it. But yeah. like now I think about it, I'm like, there's no way I could go to a high school and, and work with kids. Well, it's and, Jim, it's obvious you found your wheelhouse. It might not have been with high, high school kids, but you've certainly done an awesome job with, with where you're at. And I think, uh, you know, I'm most envious just because your network is pretty phenomenal, the people that you get to work with. And you get to work with so many different types of athletes, different types of right. sports, uh, which has you... It just it just has gives you that well rounded capability and um, you know we can ho hopefully all you know uh, aspire to work with a myriad of different athletes not just like not just you know the the hard hitters work with the volleyball players work with the the lacrosse players so I think it's it's awesome I want to thank you personally for you know being a part of the podcast taking time out of your busy day I know you've got a couple assistants running around you have someone you know getting your dry cleaning getting you coffee and... yeah right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, they would look at me like, what? <laughs> no, nah, but I appreciate you having me on. It's been fun. I love doing this kind of stuff. Yeah, well, we, we definitely look forward to having you on again. I'm sure that uh, there's a thousand more stories we could hear between your experience. We'll, we'll, definitely, be, we'll definitely be back in the Philly area. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely try, try to hook up and meet in person after, Sure. you know, basically living across the street from your work for all these years. And uh, it's sad that we could get to meet each other sooner. Yeah. Yeah. yeah likewise. I can't wait. That'd be great. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. To get a hold of Jim's writings, including Steel Reflections and a number of great blog posts and publications, visit www.bazbarbell.com. That's B-A-S-Barbell.com. Here you'll find motivating pieces and be able to track Jim's ongoing introspections about the world of strength and conditioning. Ladies and gentlemen, Wade's Army's 30-day campaign is still in full effect until the end of April. Here is how you can get involved and earn your very own limited edition Wade's Army t-shirt before it's too late. What's up, Power Athlete Nation? Throughout the month of April, Wade's Army will be launching a campaign to financially support families in the fight against neuroblastoma. While exciting breakthroughs are being made on the neuroblastoma research front, most families begin the fight with the current standard treatment. Treatment is costly, and combining this burden with the emotional toll of the child's fight with cancer is almost too much for a family to fathom. The mission of 30 Days for Waiting extends well past awareness or funding research. We are connecting with families that need our help and providing them with financial assistance. For this campaign, we feature the limited edition, cancer-kicking, brand-new Wade's Army uniform, available in all youth and adult sizes, as well as the Wade's Army morale patch for your ruck or cap. Please join the fight against neuroblastoma and help us kapow cancer. You can find out more at wadesarmy.org. Speaking of Super Troopers 2, in light of the recent popularity of facial hair, will beards become the new mustache? And if so, will Rabbit finally grow one, or will he dish out another lame excuse like, oh, I don't know? My dad told me the only reason a man can grow beard is he has a weak chin. Until next time, bye!